Good morning and welcome to Concord's worship service this morning. We're so glad that you could join with us at this time of worship. I invite you to take a moment, take a deep breath in, take a deep breath out, and let go. Let go of whatever it is that is weighing you down today, whatever it is that um, is cluttering up your mind, and to enter into this space of worship with us. Know that we gather together as a community of faith. We have been in the wilderness, discerning and working, seeking and dreaming. We have been in the wilderness, grieving and wandering, praying and hoping. We have been in the wilderness, longing and running, creating and waiting. We have been in the wilderness, but we have not been alone. For God walks with us every step of the way. So... Let, Let us worship, worship the God, God of our darkest nights and our, our brightest days. Let us worship our holy God. Brothers and sisters, who is in a position to condemn you? Only Christ. And Christ died for you. Christ rose for you. Christ lives and reigns in power for you. Christ claims you. So we can boldly go to God and confess. Let us pray. Gracious God, God you invite us to plant a garden of love and harmony, but we grow weeds of prejudice and hatred. You invite us to sow joy and gratitude, but when we scatter seeds of greed and envy, you call us to tend the soil of fear and denial. But instead, we close our eyes and let the earth suffer. Forgive us. You invited us to plant a garden, and we lost ourselves in the wilderness. Clear our hearts. Breathe life into these weary bones and grant us a fresh start. Gratefully, we pray. of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you and, and also, also with, with you. you. Three of Jesus' good friends included a man named Lazarus and his sister Mary and Martha. Jesus was on a long journey when he found out that Lazarus was dying. It took Jesus a few days to travel to see his sick friends. When Jesus arrived, he saw Lazarus' sister Martha. She had some sad news. Jesus, Lazarus is dead, cried Martha. 
I wish you could have arrived earlier. You might have been able to save him. Jesus tried to comfort her. Martha, don't be sad. Lazarus will live again. Martha believed what Jesus said. Then Lazarus's other sister, Mary, came to greet Jesus. She wished Jesus had come sooner too. Jesus, if you had been here, Lazarus might still be alive, she wept. She also believed that Jesus could have healed her brother. Jesus was sad because Lazarus died too. He cried and cried. Jesus, Martha, and Mary went to the tomb where Lazarus was buried. Jesus told some people standing there, take the stone away from the tomb. The people were surprised at what Jesus had said. Martha reminded Jesus that Lazarus had been dead for four days. They had already made his body ready for burial by wrapping it in special clothes. But Jesus knew what he was doing. He insisted that they open the tomb. When the heavy stone was rolled away, Jesus said, Lazarus, come out. The people were frightened and amazed when Lazarus came out of the tomb. Since his hands and his feet were all wrapped up in the burial cloths, the people had to help Lazarus. When the people saw Lazarus alive again, they laughed and sang and danced. Many people that day believed Jesus would bring new life to all people. The Lord's power overcame me, and while I was in the Lord's spirit, he led me out and set me down in the middle of a certain valley. It was full of bones. He led me through them all around, and I saw that there were a great many of them on the valley floor, and they were very dry. He asked me, Human one, can these bones live again? I said, Lord God, only you know. He said to me, Prophesy over these bones, and say to them, Dry bones, hear the Lord's word. The Lord God proclaims to these bones, I am about to put breath in you, and you will live again. I will put sinews on you, place flesh on you, and cover you with skin. When I put breath in you, and you come to life, you will know that I am the Lord. I prophesied just as I was commanded. There was a great noise as I was prophesying, then a great quaking, and the bones came together, bone by bone. When I looked, suddenly there were sinews on them. The flesh appeared, and then they were covered over with skin, but there was still no breath in them. He said to me, Prophesy to the breath, prophesy, human one, say to the breath, The Lord God proclaims, Come from the four winds' breath, Breathe into these dead bodies and let them live. I prophesied just as he commanded me. When the breath entered them, they came to life and stood on their feet, an extraordinarily large company. He said to me, Human one, these bones are the entire house of Israel. They say, Our bones are dried up and our hope has perished. We are completely finished. So now prophesy and say to them, The Lord God proclaims, I'm opening your graves, I will raise you up from your graves, my people, and I will bring you to Israel's fertile land. You will know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and raise you up from your graves, my people. I will put my breath in you, and you will live. I will plant you on your fertile land, and you will know that I am the Lord. I have spoken, and I will do it. This is what the Lord says. The word of the Lord.
if you've been around Concord in the last couple of weeks, then you've heard me say, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever comes to me, even though they die, shall live. I am the resurrection and the life. It's quickly becoming my favorite Bible passage. We are reminded constantly that Jesus gives life in the midst of barren, deserted places. That Jesus walks into the desert and brings forth life. We heard this morning the story of Ezekiel. Ezekiel was a prophet in the country of in Babylon when Israel's people were in isolation. They were taken away from their homelands. They were taken away from the houses and the family members and the places that they knew and the promises that they had been given. And they were taken again to Babylon. And Ezekiel, the prophet, was um, not the most popular guy in town. <laughs> he was kind of a Debbie Downer. He walked around um, doing crazy things, um, doing what are called sign acts, um, which were basically performance art. Um, they were things that he would do, like he would, um, one time he laid on his side, <clears throat> one side for 40 days, and then he switched to the other side for 40 days to show um, as a symbol of God's um, willingness to, of God's disappointment in the people of Israel. So he would do things like that all the time. He was a little bit crazy. And one day he went into the square and he told the people of a dream. And this dream, he went into the valley of dry bones. And the bones, um, there were thousands of them, just a, a valley filled with um, skeletons, which is kind of weird. Um, and he saw these skeletons and they raised up in the dream and he saw the wind or the spirit, which um, is the same word in Hebrew, ruach, uh, which means wind or spirit that we hear about in Acts when the spirit comes to the people. In this dream, the Holy Spirit goes onto, the, onto these dry bones and he, the spirit resurrects them from the desert land. And he brings them up and builds uh, muscles all around them and put nerves on them and knits them back together and makes them alive again. Not just animated skeletons, but alive people filled with breath and with life. Ezekiel says this is what will happen in the land of Babylon to Israel's people. That they will be resurrected. They will be given new life. They will be taken up from skeletons and knitted back together and sent back into the world as new people. This was a prophecy which foretells of their return to Israel. Then we heard the story of Lazarus and the raising of Lazarus. Jesus is on a journey. He's traveling in this story. When Mary and Martha send a letter saying to him, that their brother Lazarus had died. And Jesus uh, immediately leaves his travels and returns home. And he goes to Mary and Martha and he hears from them that Lazarus, his dear friend, his cousin had died. And he hadn't just died, it had been a couple days. Mary and Martha say it had been four days since Lazarus had died. And Jesus does something very special. 
we don't hear of Jesus often doing things that are very human. But in this story, when Mary and Martha tell him of the death of Lazarus, Jesus weeps. He weeps. He doesn't immediately go off and um, do miraculous things. He doesn't immediately leave. He doesn't tell Mary and Martha, well, sillies, I'm the resurrection and the life. You know that this is just temporary, right? Jesus weeps with them. He hugs them. He cares for them. He walks into the midst of the grief with them. Jesus wept. I think that is such a powerful image of Jesus. Jesus didn't immediately go off and fix it. He didn't immediately go off and make Lazarus alive again. Jesus wept. He entered into the pain that Mary and Martha were experiencing, and he honored that pain. He validated their grief. He said, I am with you in the midst of it. He didn't. He told them that what they were experiencing was important. It was valuable. That God was entering into that grief with them. He weeps when he sees his friend's death. You see, Mary and Martha, they just wanted Jesus to make the pain stop. They begged him. They said, Jesus, Martha blames Jesus. And he, she says, Jesus, if you had been here, if you had just been here, you could have prevented him from dying. I'd see, I've seen you do this, right? He just healed the blind man. He'd raised the centurion's daughter. He was capable of stopping Lazarus from dying. And Martha blames him. She says, Jesus, if you had just been here, you could have saved my brother from dying. Why didn't you do that? Why didn't you stop it? You could have made this pain go away. And Jesus weeps. And then Mary says, well, Jesus, why weren't you here? Why weren't you here? She does the same thing Martha does. She blames Jesus for not making the pain go away for not having stopped this painful thing from happening. She just wanted Jesus to put an end to the pain, to make it stop. She just wanted the pain to stop, to return back to normal, for things to be the way that they were before, before this terrible thing had happened. And what Jesus says is, yes, I understand. I feel what you're feeling. I understand your grief. I understand your pain. I understand your loss, and I weep with you. See, we often want to skip the grief 
part of the story. We want to skip the pain part of the story. We talk often about the resurrection, about Jesus going to Lazarus's tomb and raising Lazarus and making everything all right again. But that's not the only part of the story. You see, there's a part of the story where Jesus grieves, where Jesus takes that pain and that loss and redeems it. We want to skip the grief. We want to skip the pain part of it and just go to the part where everything's normal again, where we feel okay again, where our life um, brings back some sort of normalcy. But that is not how it works, unfortunately. There's a book um, called On Death and Dying by Elizabeth Kubler-Ross. And in this book, she talks about the five stages of grief that there are predictable stages of grief that we all experience. When something or someone dies, we experience this. When we have a loss, we experience these things. Um, and grief comes to us in all kinds of ways. Grief is not just death. Grief is also any loss that we experience. So if your car breaks down and you have to buy a new one, that's a little bit of grief. Um, when your kids graduate from high school and they leave home and they go to college, that's a little bit of grief. When you retire and you claim a new life, that's a little bit of grief. And every time that we have this grief, this pain, this loss, we go through these predictable stages of grief. And um, we, they're not cyclical, like we don't do them in order um, necessarily. We go from one and to another and then we come back and then we go to another one again. Um, so, you know, grief, it looks like we have, we have anger, right? We're angry that this thing is happening. Um, we have bargaining. Well, God, if you can um, just make this stop, then I promise I'll go to church every Sunday. Um, God, if you will just make this stop, then I'll donate 10% of whatever it is to the poor. If God, if you will just make this better, I'll do whatever. We have acceptance, you know, the stage where we acknowledge that this grief is real and that it is part of our lives, which often comes after we deny that it's happening in the first place. How often do we do that? Oh, this doesn't, this is, this didn't really happen, right? This couldn't really happen. We deny the reality of what it is, where we expect, we wake up in the morning and we go to the closet and we expect to hear their voice. Or we wake up in the morning and we get dressed and we forget we don't have to go to work anymore. Denial is very powerful and we all experience that as part of grief. And then there's the sadness, the depression often. Just that part of it where we are so um, emotionally overcome by our experiences and our emotions of grief. These are all parts of it, the process, and they happen. They're predictable. They happen to everyone. Um, and certain people stay in certain stages, different times, and we bounce around and we do all kinds of stuff, but we all experience that when there's loss. And that's the same thing that Jesus experienced in that time. He experienced that grief, that loss, that anger, that um, sadness, the denial, all of it. Jürgen Moltmann in his book, The Crucified God, talks about 
how Jesus entered into every human experience, every single one, from um, having to get up in the morning and eat to having to sleep to all of those things. And he enters into that experience so that God can take those experiences up into that communion and redeem it and claim it and say, that is your experience is valuable to say that there is no place that is so barren that God has not and cannot be there, that there is no place that God has not experienced and redeemed and made new. The good news is not that there's the end of pain or the end of grief or the end of loss. That is not the good news. The good news is that Jesus has entered into that pain and taken it up into himself and made it divine, made it holy. The good news is that there's hope, that the pain is not the end of the story that the loss is not the end of the story because we are Easter people and we say, I am the resurrection and the life. We say that we know that there's pain and there's loss and we know that we will grieve, but we also know that Jesus has entered into that grief with us, that that grief is not the end of the story, that there is a time and a place where pain and loss and grief will end that we can experience those pains, those emotions, that grief and pain and loss, and not be consumed by it. Where we can say that we trust in Jesus, who is the resurrection and the life. That because we believe in him, we will not die, but will live. So we can experience that pain. We can, like Ezekiel, see a valley of dry bones, like Jesus, see our friend Lazarus, and we can look upon those things with hope because we know it's not the end of the story. Grief is not the end of the story. Jesus weeps with us. Oh
Ready? God, our creator, we pray for the world you have made. Overthrow evil powers, right what is wrong, feed and satisfy those who thirst for justice so that all of your children may freely enjoy your creation and joyfully sing your praises. That the earth may be freed from war, famine, and disease, and the air, soil, and waters cleansed of poison. that those who govern and maintain peace in every land may exercise their powers in obedience to your command. Merciful God, your healing power is everywhere about us. Strengthen those who work among the sick. Give them courage and confidence in everything they do. Encourage them when their efforts seem futile or when death prevails. Increase their trust in your power, even to overcome death and pain and crying. May they be thankful for every sign of health you give and humble before the mystery of your healing grace. O oh God, your compassion is unbounded and your mercy is endless. You know what we need before we ask. You understand our anxieties and fears. Reassure us of your love that never ends. When we are troubled, calm our mind and renew hope within us. Help us rely upon your strength, trusting you to restore confidence in your never-failing grace. Merciful God, in Jesus Christ, we have your promise of peace. Receive those who seek your help. Assure us you are near. Fill us with your spirit. Cast out our anxiety and fear, and help us to rely on the strength you provide. God of compassion, you watch our ways and weave out of terrible happenings wonders of goodness and grace. Surround those who have been shaken by tragedy with the sense of your present love and hold them in faith. Though they are lost in grief, may they find you and be comforted. We pray this through Jesus Christ, who was dead but lives and rules this world with you, and taught us to pray together, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen.
God knows what it is to be in this place where you are today. God knows what it is to experience your grief, your pain, your loss. And God takes that up and holds it close. God weeps with you. And so we can be bold and give that pain, that loss, that grief, that weeping over to God. And so that is my challenge for you today. Are you holding tight to that grief? Are you holding it in close? Or can you give it over to God with open hands and an open heart? Now receive the benediction. May the grace of God, the love of Christ, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you now and into the life everlasting. Amen. Thank you.